So I just kept applying for jobs with various companies, and then I finally caught a break um, after about a year of applying. So. Wow. Yeah. So it took you about a year to finally break in. Hey guys, ECRG here. I'd like to welcome you to the first ever episode of, I don't even know what we're going to call this thing, but probably the ECRG interview series or Elite Clinical Research interview series. We'll go with that. So welcome to the first episode. Today I have with me a very special guest. She's actually a clinical research associate and works for a very large CRO and she's been in clinical research for a few years now, but I'll have her tell her a little bit more about herself. And her name is Shalanda. So welcome, Shalanda. Thank you. Um, so first off, we want to talk about, the first question I want to ask you is, how did you get your start in clinical research? There are a lot of people that watch this, this channel and who's going to be watching this content who are trying to get into the clinical research field. Um, a lot of people want to be CRAs, so if you could just share a little bit about how you found out about clinical research, maybe how you ended up getting into clinical research, um, and we'll just start there. Okay, um, so I found out about clinical research, I think it was around my junior year of college. Um, so I was pre-med in college, but then I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, so they have a career center at the school I went to. Um, and I was reviewing a couple of jobs at the Career Center, and they introduced the field of clinical research to me. And so um, then I did my own like research, I guess, of the different entry-level roles, and I reached out to some alumni um, that I knew worked in the field. Um, so they gave me a few pointers as far as, like, uh, I guess things I need to um, include on my resume, but they let me know that it's you know, tough to get into the field. So I just kept applying for jobs with various companies and then I finally caught a break um, after about a year of applying, so. Wow, yeah. so it took you about a year to finally break in. Do you know how many about how many jobs you applied to during that span? Um, I would say I probably applied to like seven, seven or eight i think um only seven or eight only seven or eight just because i knew like for some of the positions i saw it wasn't entry level it was like level two so i knew you know i wouldn't get considered for that because i was you know a recent college graduate right. so i tried to apply for the um the cta positions like the um drug safety officer positions um and I did, you know, I did apply for CRA positions, but I just like did that just to, so the company would have my resume on file. For sure. But, that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a pretty good strategy to just mm -hmm. apply for whatever you can. Because a lot of times they'll say, you know what, you're not, you're not qualified for this position, but we have this other position coming out that you are qualified for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned CTA. Uh, a lot of people may not know the acronyms that we talk about. So uh, what, what exactly is a CTA, if you could expand on that? Um, a CTA, a clinical trial assistant, um, or associate, I guess it depends on the company, like right. the, what the A stands for. But right. um, I, they do more of like the in-house tasks um, when it comes to clinical research. Um, they may you know, reach out to the site. Um, have scheduled contacts with them, or they may, um, you know, be in charge of uh, 
uploading documents to uh, the company's um, clinical trial management systems, um, just a lot more of the like administrative in-house tasks. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And would you say that's a pretty good entry point to the industry for people looking to get in? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So you applied, you applied to your jobs. You finally broke into the industry after a year or so. And what, mm -hmm. what position did you end up getting? What did, what position was that? Um, so I was a clinical monitoring associate, um, which is also like an in-house position. Uh -huh. um, we more so, so we were like the, uh, I wouldn't say we were the first point of contact for the site, but we were the main point of contact for the site um, because we worked hand in hand with the CRAs. So um, each site had a CRA and a CMA. And because the CRAs travel, um, the CMA would be more accessible when it comes to just like various protocol questions or um, if the site needed supplies or anything like that, um, to contact the CMA. And then the CMA would um, have routine contacts with the site just to, um, you know, keep up with the status of the patients and make sure everything was going okay and that the site didn't have questions about um, the protocol or, or anything like that. So. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. So you, you got in as a CMA. Now, not every company calls it that. So, I mean, other people would call it maybe in-house CRA. That's probably the the standard term there for that position, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you did that position for how long? I did that position for a year and four months. Okay. And then um, I moved to the CRA position. Okay. All with the same company, right? Yes. Okay. And so which position do you like better? Um, I like the CRA role better um, just because, I mean, I know as a CMA, like you do have contact with the site, but the CRA, you can actually put, you know, the face to the name and um, it's more hands-on um, when it comes to protocol um, in the study. So yeah. I aspect of it better and the travel of course it's cool depending on where you have to go so right now that's interesting you mentioned the hands-on part because there was someone who reached out to me yesterday who was looking who was interested in clinical research but they didn't want the the standard you know sit at your desk all day job they wanted something a little bit more hands-on so it's interesting you mentioned that part do you feel like there's a big difference in terms of you know, as far as the daily workflow goes between a CRA and CMA and the hands-on aspect? Yeah. So um, the biggest difference is that, well, for me, is that you're actually going to the site. You're actually, you know, you get to see the drug um, for the project that you're on. You get to talk to the PI in person. You get to um, talk to the study coordinator in person. You actually are reviewing the patient's um, electronic medical charts. Mm -hmm. Um so all of that, you know, is that hands-on aspect, like you're actually seeing everything. Right. Um, we don't, of course, we aren't in contact with the patients at all, but um, we do have access to their records and all of that, so. Okay, excellent. So in, in what year was this that you first got into clinical research? I want to put that into context because I know over the years, the industry goes ups and down, ups and down. Sometimes it seems like there's way too many positions to even be filled. And then other times it seems like there's a drawback. And I, I'm of the belief that there was a somewhat of a drawback in 2017. So if you could just say what, mm -hmm. year, what year was this that you yeah. first got into? 
Um, so I got hired in the winter of 2014, and I started um, January 2015 okay. as a clinical partner and associate. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's good. Um, and so now you're a CRA. What's mm-hmm. what? What do you think is next for you? Do you think? I mean, I know a lot of people. Uh, you know, they're CRA. There's some people that are CRAs for like 20 years or so. And they just because they just love the role that much. Other people kind of want to, you know, get off the road and become either go back to in-house CRAs or, you know, CTLs or lead CRAs. What do you think is, is next for you? Um, so next after, well, I know I want to stay um, a CRA for a few more years, of course. So um, a lead CRA role would be ideal for me, um, I guess, in a few years. Mm-hmm. But after... CRA, I would like to um, transition to the clinical operations leader role. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still kind of site facing, but more so client facing. Um, they take on responsibilities for um, the assigned countries or regions, and they basically like coordinate team members with activities um, to ensure that the deliverables are met. So they're kind of like a a manager right. for the project, I guess. Right. Um, and then after that, I would like to move on to the project leader role, um, which is more of the overall project management aspect where they deal with the financials and everything of that. And it's more client facing. So they do more work with the sponsor than um, the site. So, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a, that's a key distinction there because I first got my start on the project management side of things and I didn't really have much contact with the sites at all. It was all sponsor facing. <laughs> Um, so I think that's interesting if people want to get their start on that side as well. But then there's the whole yeah. like clinical operations side, like you said, which is site facing where they don't have as much contact with the sponsor. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there's definitely pros and cons to every entry point. Yeah. But what do you think, what, what positions do you feel like are great for people to get into clinical research? Like, uh, I guess if you could have done it over again, would you have chosen a different position? Um, no, I still would have tried to do like the in-house CRA position um, or like a the clinical trial associate or um, I did apply for a drug safety associate position. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that would be more so with the data management mm-hmm. aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's it's hard to like start off as a CRA if you're not. You know, if you weren't previously like a study coordinator or um, a nurse, like a research nurse. Um, so I would have tried to do more of an in-house role. Right. I think that's a good, a good way to start. Yeah, I would agree. That's probably the best way. Mm-hmm. If you could really say one is better than the other, that's probably the best way to get your start. Um, and then, you know, what, what other positions are there that people could apply for? Because... You know, people think CRA, CRA, that's all they hear in the news and stuff. And they think they can just come from any industry, no matter the experience level, no matter the education level, and just be a CRA straight up. And they hear about all of the, you know, demand for CRAs because the demand has been there for a long time now. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, every company is pretty much hiring CRAs at all times. So um, what would you say are some of the other positions that people could get in on? Um, if they, let me see. So again, like the clinical monitoring associate, the CMA position, 
um, if they see anything for a CTS or CTA, um, clinical trial specialist or um, clinical trial assistant. Um, project specialists may be a good route to go. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's not, you know, more site facing, but they will get clinical research experience. So right. I think that'll be good as well. Um, uh, let me see. I can't think of the specific names, but the positions they work with, like the data management, um, I think that will be good as well. Like uh, a clinical data associate or something? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that'll be I agree. Clinical data analyst, the name, something like that. So, so here's a situation that a lot of people I know who reached out to us at eliteclinicalgroup at gmail.com, soft plug there. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of times they email and say, and, and they talk about how they've, they've been offered a position in clinical research, but it's usually maybe, it doesn't pay very well. It's a contractor position. You know, it's only for a few months. Should they take it or should they hold out for a better position? What would you say to, to that person? Um, I think every situation, I guess, is different. Um, I mean, I wouldn't take a short contract job, but that's just me because I need financial stability. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I wouldn't do that. But, um, I mean, if they really, you know, want to have that experience on their resume and they're able to you know, figure out something else um, after that, you know, for after that contract is over, I don't think it would be such a bad idea to accept that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are always, you know, contract positions all the time Yep. that are open. I see inquiries all the time about contract positions. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. There's, there's definitely more now. Uh, well, I'm a lot of companies always, try and get get you to get their foot in the door i know iqv mm-hmm. does that they'll start out with like a six-month contract and either extend you or bring you on full-time i actually got mm-hmm. my start as a contractor as well um and i know that for people that are listening who are worried about that the job market completely changes after you even get like three to six months of experience so i know right. i was getting way more callbacks just with those three months of experience rather than having no experience. Like it was completely different. So that's mm-hmm. something to think about as well. Yeah, I agree. All right, good. Glad we agree there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so would you ever be a, like a contract research associate? I mean, a contract clinical research associate? Um, I know that that, that may be harder because you don't have the stability of working for the big CRO. You're kind of working for yourself. Could you, mm-hmm. could you comment on that a little bit? Um, I would, I actually thought about doing it, um, after I get a little more experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, you know, it's always good to work for yourself and I know, um, even though like the contract is, you know, is usually for like a few months, like maybe, like you said, three to six months, or sometimes it may be for a year, um, they do get paid more. So, sure. yeah, I've, I've definitely thought about that. I, I wouldn't say that I would never do it. Um, but I think more than likely I'll probably do it in the future. Just not right now because I want to gain more experience before I do that. 
Yeah, I feel like most of those contractors have like years and years of experience anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you're competing yeah. with them for a gig, it's probably going to be uh, pretty tough. Right. Get, unless you've got a lot of experience yourself. Right. Um, but I know in 2017, when I was looking at the market, I didn't see many uh, contract clinical research positions open. I mean, you, I had to like really, really dig for them if I was looking for them. Um, but now I see people posting on LinkedIn for them. Um, I've even seen contract project management positions open up. So that's, that's ah. yeah. Um, I've seen contract data management. I've seen contract almost anything. I even see a contract in-house CRA position. <laughs> um, so that's one way you can really like look at the market and see what the job market's like. Because in 2017, I didn't see any of that. Just, you know, casually looking around. Um, all right. So you're, you're a CRA now. What do you, what do you like most about the position? Like, what is, what are some things you like? Um, I like a lot of things. Um, actually, I think just overall clinical research is just like a big ball of learning experience. Um, I'm the type of person, like I love to learn new things. Um, I love a good challenge. And with the field, especially with the CRA role, like you get that almost daily. And, um, you know, it's, it's always something different every day. Like maybe the site doesn't have the supplies and the subject is coming in for a visit in a few days and they need like an expedited order or they have questions about the protocol where they don't really understand. Like, you know, if it seems ambiguous to them, you may have to explain it or, um, you know, a subject had a had to have an emergency room visit and they want to know if it's an adverse event or a serious adverse event or it's just, you know, anything can happen. So, um, each day is kind of like putting out small fires and, um, you learn a lot, um, doing that. Like you gain experience from having different issues at the different sites so that you'll know moving forward, like what to do if that situation comes up again. So I like that aspect of it. Um, and then, you know, when you're assigned to a project team, of course, you have to do training. And um, that training includes, like, in-depth presentations about um, the indication, um, the different treatments for the indication mm -hmm. um, for the project that you're working on, um, you know, how the drug works. And all of that is interesting to me. Um, you know, as I said, I was pre-med in college. Right. But, and I've always, you know, loved to learn about the health field. So um, that's another thing that I like. Um you know, because you learn about health issues and diseases that you probably wouldn't even thought of, like, right. you know, if you weren't working on that project. Um, you get to meet a lot of people as a CRA because you travel a lot. Um, well, depending on the company, you may or may not travel as much. But I know um, I some of the places I go, I choose to stay in the same hotels and, you know, I see the same, um, you know, people that work at the hotel all the time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you make new friends and. Of course, traveling is always cool. You know, mm -hmm. we keep the points from the airlines and the rental cars and the hotel points. So mm -hmm. that's always a plus as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of things. <laughs> so um, let's see. You've been traveling since 2015, right? Um, 2016. 2016, so about two years. Um, mm -hmm. how, how has that been? Has, has it been tiring for you at times? Is it stressful at times? Is it traffic um, juggling, juggling that with a full-time job? Or, I mean, I know it comes with the job, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So it was, um, it has this, some moments have like 
you know, challenges. Um, so I was assigned to, um, I think, three different projects at one point. And even though, like, the traveling frequency for those projects differed, sometimes they will overlap. So mm-hmm. it will always be, like, you know, every few months I was, like, traveling a lot because the frequency overlapped. But um, other than that, you know, I was always prepared because I always, you know, try to plan um, ahead of time. So I knew, like, which month I would be heavy traveling um, versus the other where it's, you know, not so heavy. Um, so I think that... I guess it's like the biggest thing, but other than that, it's been pretty cool. Like I haven't, you know, been tired out. Not yet. Have um, intervals, I guess, where I'm not traveling at all. Like, um, you know, like around the Christmas holiday, um, things, you know, die down right. everywhere. Right. It's <laughs> so, lovely. You know, it's lovely during that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Exactly how much do you travel? Because I've said this number before and people still don't believe me. What what what, what do you say? The, you could say the percentage and then say about how many times per week that really comes out to or how many times per month that really shakes out to. Um, I would say like 75 okay. percent around that much. But um, our company recently like changes models. So they're trying to. Um, they like change their frequency of how much we travel. So it's went down a little bit, but, um, I would say like once or twice a week, um, I'm traveling. Yeah. Okay. And it's not like a set, like every week I'm traveling, you know, once or twice. Of course, sometimes I don't go anywhere the whole week. Um, it just depends, um, on your project and the monitoring frequency for your project. Cause I know some people that go to the same places like every two weeks. So Okay. Yeah. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely uh, relies on that interval there. Yeah. Um, and so, what's the most you've traveled? The most I've traveled. Yeah, because I, I imagine you've had different projects over the course of the two years. Yeah. Yeah. What's the so, most you've traveled? I think. Let me see. Um. It was like mid-August to September of 2016. Okay. Um, I was probably home like literally just on the weekends. Like, um, I mean, of course, you know, like say I had a visit on Monday. Um, I travel out Sunday and I come back Monday night, but I have another visit on Wednesday. So I'm literally home Monday night, Tuesday, half the day, and I'm flying out again to the next place. So I was doing that um, like mid to late August and all of September in 2016. But I had just, um, so I was doing termination visits for one of my studies, but I was also doing monitoring visits for the same study. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had just been assigned a new study and um, they had, uh, they had to pay a penalty if the monitoring visits weren't done within the allotted time frame. Right. Like the company had to pay a penalty to the sponsor. Um, mm-hmm. So I had to like fit those visits in. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And they were already planned by the previous monitor. So it's like, I couldn't really, you know, right. Replan so, it. So that's pretty much like a hundred percent travel during that time. Yeah. For the, <laughs> let's say like 90%. 90%. 90%. Yeah. But I mean, it, it doesn't always happen like that at all. 
Right. So it seems like in a normal in a normal case, you can pretty much spread it out to however mm-hmm. you want want it. Um, can you also like jam pack it in? So like maybe like the first two weeks you're traveling a lot, then the last two weeks you're not traveling so much. Yeah, it's all up to you. You make your own schedule. Um, you know, you you talk to the site about their availability and match it with yours, and you pick. But we don't have someone. Um, you know, that's. Well, for the company I work for, we don't have someone that um, makes our travel arrangements like and schedules the visits with the site. We do all that ourselves. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. Um, so we talked about that CRA stuff. One of, one of the videos I have on the channel is one of, is it talks about a few reasons why millennials would be attracted, particularly to the CRA role. Do you think there's anything like uh, specific about the millennial like character uh, that would attract them to the CRA role because I feel like it's becoming more and more competitive to get to that role mm-hmm. um, and and there might be a reason for that do you have any thoughts on that something millennials um I don't know I can't I mean I guess it's kind of like the the freedom of the job. Like mm-hmm. for me, like I work from home um, and I travel for work and we pretty much like make our own schedule. So I think just that aspect of it. So is, I mean, even though you're working for a company, like you're doing everything like, you know, yourself. Um, so I guess that, yeah, the, you know, the freedom has to be huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially the work from home, because I know a lot of people um, that's becoming more and more popular, like decentralized positions, so, right, or remote positions, right. Oh yeah. Uh, I think clinical research in general is pretty good for having uh, the ability to work from home or having mm-hmm. remote positions. Yeah. I mean, when I when I was a project specialist, the first my my manager was completely home based, and she didn't even live in the same country as me. She was she lived in Canada. And, you know, a lot of the team members I was working with were all home-based as well. I was pretty much the yeah. only one coming into the office, which sucked. <laughs> but, you know, you got to pay your dues, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in that video, I talked about how, you know, like the freedom, like you said, I think that's going to be huge as mm-hmm. as millennials, you know, uh, grow into becoming into more positions of power and making the rules and structuring how these companies operate. I think that could be something key that other people could learn from is how to give people under them more freedom to do the work that they like to do. And I'm sure that that feels good, you know, being able to like go around the country and like set your own schedule and like work from home and like kind of do your thing without, without too many checks and balances. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. All right, cool. And, um, so we talked about that. What do you think? What do you think you'd be doing right now if it wasn't clinical research? Um, I would most definitely probably be working with kids in some capacity. Um, probably for like a nonprofit organization in the public health field. Uh-huh. Um, I was working with kids um, as a part time um, before I started in clinical research and during. Um, my first position as a CMA, I was still working part-time um, within a program at the YMCA. Um, mm-hmm. I was working with kids. So 
that's probably what I would be doing. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And all right. So I have two, I have two last questions as we wrap up here. Uh, one is I know there's a lot of talk about uh, AI and robots <laughs> coming to take your jobs. Do you have any fear of robots coming to take your job as a CRA? Um, that's a great question. Um, no, I, I don't think I do. Um, I, of course there, you know, a lot of technology, technology, uh, excuse me, tech, technology, I can't even say the word, advances yes. being created over time. Um, you know, it increases the amount of work that we have to do, but it makes our jobs easier. Um, but just from my experience in the field, um, I'm not too worried about it. Um, I mean, I guess it'll make it easier as a CRA because we may be able to do more work remotely. Um, but as we know, like technology isn't 100% reliable. Uh, and I will say that um, I don't. I don't know. I just don't. I don't think it'll be you know too much of a a change from what has already um, came about, like as far as making it easier so we won't have to visit the site as much. But you still have to, um, you know, count in the human factor of things. Like, I, we don't have access to the site's records. So that's, that's why we have to go there. Like, you know, because of, you know, HIPAA laws and everything like that, like, they aren't really allowed to, like, send off the... Um, the patient's records and things like that to someone who isn't like working in that institution. Right. And I know they have like confidentiality agreements and everything like that, but um, it's, it's better to actually send someone there. And then you have to like, you know, factor in drug accountability. Like, of course the site can record a number and say, like say if the drug was for pills, like, of course the site can record a number and say, you know, the patient returned four pills back. But if you don't have someone going going there and like checking that, like how can you know that it's actually true? Like you know, right. so certain things like you know you have to kind of factor in. Unless I guess we can <laughs> find a way to put a camera at the site so we can right. do everything. Say I don't know, but right. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I'm not too worried about it right now. Maybe we'll have to reassess in like five to ten years because technology yeah. just moves so fast and disruption happens just so fast. So right. maybe in five years, I'll ask you that same question and you'll have a different answer. <laughs> yeah. I'm not too worried about it though. All right. Well, that's good. So if anyone is looking at getting into clinical research, I guess now's a good time if you're afraid of the robots coming to take your job because it's not right. going to happen <laughs> according to Shalanda. <laughs> So uh, here's the last question, and I stole, I completely stole this question from someone else. Um, they ask at the end of their interviews, like, what are you obsessed with right now? And it could be anything. It could be clinical research related. It could be, you know, just like a movie that came out, like Black Panther, or like it could be like anything. Like, what are you obsessed with right now? So right now, um, I've been watching the originals. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. No. But it's about vampires um, on Netflix, and I love that show. It's about the so, what? It's about vampires, um, like uh. the first family of vampires that ever existed, and, you know, they're immortal, and, yeah, it's a cool show. It's brand new? Like, 
No, I don't. I don't think it's new, but it's a spinoff from the Vampire Diaries. Okay. Um, so I kind of started watching the Vampire Diaries, but I can't really get into it. Um. So yeah, but I do like the originals. Does this show like have that. action in it? Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, not like GI Joe action, but you know, <laughs> G. I. Joe. it's like fights and stuff, and people die, and it's like vampires werewolves and witches so oh it's cool okay yeah all right cool all right well thank you for that shalanda thank you so much for coming on the show you are the first person the first guest of the show so i'm very glad that you were able to come on and share all this awesome information about your career in in clinical research and being a cra um I don't, I'm not going to make you do this, but if you would like to, if people have any questions or further questions about anything you said in the, in the show, where can people like reach out to you somewhere or, you know, you can say no completely, it's completely cool. <laughs> um, or you could just put, say in the comments down below and I can forward them to you. Um, it's up to you. Um, you can forward me any questions and, okay. Uh... I guess you can, I'm sure you have my email address. If anyone has any like specific questions to me, you can give them my email address. All right, cool. Yeah. That's All right, fine. cool. So leave your, leave your comments and questions down below. I'll forward them to Shalanda. If any of you guys have any questions and thank you so much again, Shalanda for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me and I hope I was able to help anyone. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs>